seen him not only succeed academically, but answer God call, God's call in his life to go into ministry. And, and actually, it was Pastor Ben who made this observation about him and the fact that he could go into any career and make a lot of money if he so chose to do so. And yet, he would much rather lay that to the side and be obedient to God's call that he has placed on his life. And that was a wonderful, wonderful example for that for us, and a great encouragement for us as well. So um, I'd like to invite our speaker up. We just make him feel welcome, please, brothers and sisters. Thanks for the welcome, Joe. No, no, no. Thank you very much for taking this opportunity. So would you like to formally introduce yourself to everyone here that does not know you? Yep. My name is Martin Fong. I work with a Christian group at the University of New South Wales called Campus Bible Study. So basically, I read the Bible with students. I convince them to follow Jesus and to live with him as Lord and Savior. That's awesome. So how do you find the atmosphere? And which universities do you work with? Or work University at? of New South Wales. So what is the, the, the atmosphere towards spiritual things with the students that you interact with at New South Wales? Mm, it, it's hard to make a broad statement. So the, the Christians there are quite interested in growing in their faith. And this is, the, this is the time when they're really solidifying their worldview, when they're being independent from their parents. And so it's a very, really good time for them to grow in their faith and to become solid Christians. Uh, for those non-Christians who we meet, um, lots of them feel like they already understand Christianity quite well, in that, um, yeah, Australia has this Judeo-Christian background. Lots of people think they understand Christianity, and so they're quite hard-hearted, hard-hearted towards it. Um, so, how, so uh, just a slightly different take. How old are you now? Twenty-five. So, as a, you're twenty-five. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Um, how old did you think I was? <laughs> I still see you as seventeen, man. It's uh, yeah. I've, I've, sorry, I've known Martin since high school. That's the reason why. Yeah. You, you sort of get to a like somebody said. I still think you're thirty-four, Joe, which makes me feel good about myself. But that's that's a respect of. So, as a, as a twenty-five-year-old, as a youngster, when like, how did you know God was calling you into this particular area of ministry? Uh, for a lot of people that are sort of wondering, with all the opportunities available to them, do I, do I work hard? Do I settle down? Do I follow my career? What was it about the core God placed on your life that you said, yes, Lord, this is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm going to go? And mm-hmm. what, was that, what was that for you? Yeah, I think there are like so many different ways to serve God, and all of these ways can be fantastic ways to serve God. I think I could serve God quite well in engineering, um, yeah, in, in law, science, whatever. But I think... Uh, with full-time ministry, with spending your whole life in serving God by sharing Jesus with others, um, it has eternal value. With bridges, with uh, infrastructure, with buildings, those are fantastic things, and they make yeah really good things happen in society, but they only have temporary value. Whereas sharing, with the, sharing the gospel with people, that has eternal value. It has eternal impact. So that's why I chose that path. That's really cool. That's really cool. Bro, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're really looking forward to hearing what the Lord has burdened your heart with for us today. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for our brother Martin. Thank you for his willingness and his obedience to the call you placed on his life. We pray for him now that you will anoint him by your spirit, that you'll empower him with your power, that as he communicates, he communicates your word and the message that you've placed upon his heart. I pray that we as your people will be sensitive to what you have to say to us through your servant this morning, and we commit him to your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Well, before I start, I want to say a big thank you to this church, especially to many of you who have supported me in this traineeship, in that what I'm doing right now, it's not something that's just done by a single person. Rather, we as a body of believers, we support one another in sharing the gospel with people. So, so yeah, thank you to everyone. Thank you to people who have supported me emotionally, prayerfully, financially. 
Thank you for your work in this gospel partnership. Now, one of the things I do with Campus Bible Study is I do some walk-up evangelism. This is where another Christian and I, we walk up to people around the campus, random strangers that we've never met before, and we ask them who they think Jesus is. Lots of people, they aren't interested, and that's okay, we, pull out, we politely move on. But some people, they actually are interested in having gospel conversations. Some people, they haven't really thought too much about who Jesus is, and so it's amazing to be able to chat to them about who Jesus really is. Now, often I meet um, nominal Catholics. There are these people who have grown up in Catholic backgrounds, who sometimes go to Mass here and there, but what they believe, or what they say they believe, isn't really reflected in their lives. And so when I, when I meet nominal Catholics, I usually approach them with two questions. And those two questions are, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? And do you read it? Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? And do you read it? And I remember, I'm, I'm, I walked up to this nominal Catholic the other day, asked him the same two questions. Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Yes. Do you believe, uh, sorry, do you, do you read it? No. We had more of a chat, and he realized that what he said he believed up here didn't really play out in his life. Because if the Bible really is the Word of God, then he should be reading it, he should be relying on it. I, I tried to ask him to join a Bible study group on campus. He said he wasn't ready for that yet. But later on, he messaged me, and this is what he said to me. Thank you and your partner for that conversation because it really did make me question my own dedication to my faith and I'm willing to put in the extra effort to read the Bible. And so I've been praying for this guy. I pray that he has been putting in that extra effort in reading the Bible. I've been praying that he has been transformed as he has read the Bible and that God will work powerfully in his life. Well, what he, what he has said is kind of my hope for us today. My hope for today is that I, I can strengthen your faith, I can help you to see the Bible as it really is, and help you rely on it. And if I'm able to do that, then I consider this morning a success. Because the Bible really is the Word of God. That's what we'll be looking at today, the Bible being the Word of God. And what better way of looking at what the Bible is than to actually turn to the Bible and see what it says about itself. So today's passage is on 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 17. I don't have any slides, so you'll have to get out your Bible. I think Joe said last week that he wants um, us all to be able to grab out our Bibles, to flick to pages, so let's grab out our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. And I'll read it for us. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's ask God for His help in understanding this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that this really is Your Word, that we can rely on it, that we can read it, and we can grow in our faith because of it. We pray this morning that you'll help me to speak clearly from your word and that all of us uh, can be open-hearted to hearing it, that we may be changed to live lives that glorify you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Well, from this passage, I'm going to make two main points. The first is that godliness leads to persecution. Godliness leads to persecution. And the second point is to help you to appreciate that the Bible really is God's Word, so we should rely on it. The Bible really is God's Word, so we should rely on it. Two points. Godliness leads to persecution, and the Bible is the Word of God, so rely on it. Now, this is a passage in 2 Timothy. It's a letter from Paul to Timothy, and perhaps some of you haven't read it recently, so let me explain the context There's this older Christian, the Apostle Paul, advising this younger Christian leader. This older Christian leader advising this younger Christian leader, Timothy. It's kind of like Joe, this older Christian leader, advising Andrew, Andrew Finn, this younger Christian leader. Imagine Joe has asked Andrew to plant this church in the Northern Territory. And Joe is writing these these letters, these emails, advising Andrew on how he should live his life, how he should run this church. This is kind of like this... Yeah, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. Now, Andrew knows Joe pretty well. Andrew knows what Joe's on about. Andrew knows what Joe wants to see in people. He's heard all these sermons. He knows his family. They know each other quite well. This is kind of like that. But I suspect what happens between Paul and Timothy is a bit more. So let's read verses 10 to 11 again. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. So Paul, this older Christian leader, is writing to Timothy, this younger Christian leader. And Timothy knows all these things about Paul. He knows about his teaching, so this is coming from verse 10, he knows about his teaching, how Paul has taught about the gospel, that this is the message of salvation, that people can find salvation through Jesus Christ. He knows about his way of life. He knows about his purpose of sharing the gospel to everyone, especially the Gentiles. He knows about Paul's character and his faith, patience, love, endurance. He knows about all these terrible things that have happened to Paul, these persecutions, especially in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. It's kind of like Joe to Andrew, but more... See, these two people, they know each other quite well, and Paul is giving this advice to Timothy in running this church and living his life. Now, the interesting thing, or the part I find interesting in verse 11, is the part at the end where it says, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And I find that interesting because it shows something about God's love. See, sometimes we think God's love for His people means that we'll have comfortable lives, Sometimes we think God's love for His people means we might be free from persecutions or that He won't send anything bad to us. But over here, no, Paul does, sorry, God does love Paul, yet Paul experiences these persecutions. 
But what God, God's love does mean for these people is that He rescues Paul from these persecutions. God's love for His people doesn't mean people are free from persecution. It doesn't mean that they'll necessarily have a comfortable or easy life, but God will rescue people from them. We see this even more clearly in verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. (laughs) I'm a bit uncomfortable with that statement in that I, I really wanted it to say everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will have a good life, will have a successful life. That's what I wanted it to say. But no, it says everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we saw that really clearly in Paul's life. See, Paul, he shared the gospel with people, and what came out of it? He was abused, he was imprisoned, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was in dire thirst and hunger, he was shipwrecked, he was persecuted for his faith. Um, you may have heard last month of Pastor Wang Yi. There was this pastor in, Ch- in China, and you might know that the Chinese government is incredibly strict on churches. The Chinese government persecutes the church. Now, Pastor Wang Yi, he taught the gospel faithfully, as far as I know. He taught that people are sinners, that they need to repent, that they need to turn to God. And he said that about the government as well, that the government are sinners, that they need to repent, that they need to turn to God. The government didn't like that. So they ransacked his home, they detained him, and as far as I know, we don't know where he is right now. He was persecuted for his faith. And he did expect persecution. He expected it so much that he had prepared a letter to be sent out um, if he was detained for more than two days. You may have read that yourself, but let me read a small snippet out of that letter. If God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of the futures, to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and through this to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans, for his plans are always benevolent and good. This is a man who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And for that, he was persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, the other thing that I found a bit uncomfortable with this statement is that it felt like such a blanket statement. Everyone. We know these people who dedicate their life to full-time ministry, Paul, Pastor Wang Yi, and they experience this persecution. But we know so many good people who aren't really persecuted in their lives. How can Paul say in verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted? Well, I think the answer to that is that there is a big difference between wanting to live a godly life in Christ Jesus and being merely a good person. See, merely good people might not be persecuted, but everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's this difference between living a godly life in Christ Jesus, and being merely a good person. And let me explain that a little bit. I'll I'll give you three differences and explain why persecutions come out of that. The first difference is that the person who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is loving others because of God's love shown to them. See, good people, they love for a whole variety of reasons, 
but we, or those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be uh, will love others because of the love that God has shown to us. That's the first difference. The second difference is that we're representatives of Jesus. See, in every single thing we do, we should represent Jesus. When we talk to people, we represent Him. When we do our work, we represent Him. In every single thing, we should represent Jesus. Now, because the world hates Jesus, as we hear in the Bible, the world will hate the representatives of Jesus as well. The world hates Jesus, and the world will hate His representatives too. And that leads to persecution. And the third difference, this might be one of the biggest differences, actually, between living a godly life in Christ Jesus and merely being a good person, is that the former seeks to share the gospel with others. See, the merely good person doesn't know the gospel, but the person who actually lives a godly life in Christ Jesus wants to share this fantastic news of salvation with others. They want to see their friends, families, even strangers come to know the gospel because they care deeply about them. So the person who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will share the gospel with others. But that leads to persecution. See, the gospel is fantastic news. It's news of salvation. It's news of this hope that we can have, eternal life with Christ. But the gospel can also be offensive. See, it's offensive because some people see only part of the picture, the part where they hear that they're sinners, that they shouldn't be living lives how they are, that they need to repent. It's offensive, and people don't like it. That leads to persecution. The person who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus wants to share the gospel with others. That's a fantastic thing. But they will be persecuted for it because people don't like the gospel. And you may have seen this in your own life. It may have been workplace persecution, people who don't get promoted because of their faith, people who are gossiped behind the back. It may have been amongst friends when they think your faith is foolish, when they don't see the foolishness of their own hopes in uncertainties of riches or romance or careers. You may have seen this persecution in your own life. So don't be surprised when persecution comes. Don't be surprised when persecution comes because everyone, as Paul says in verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, I have a challenge for you, and that challenge for you is, are you actually wanting to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, or do you want to merely be a good person? Are you actually wanting to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, or do you want to be merely a good person? Because it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of being merely good people. It's great to be a good person, but we want to actually live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And one way to test it, it's not a foolproof way, but one way to test it is to see whether you are or have been persecuted recently. It's not a foolproof way because the persecution might not come immediately, but it's one way to test whether you really are desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus because there is this relationship between, yeah, this desire to live a godly life and being persecuted. So that's my first challenge for you. Are you really seeking to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, or are you seeking only to be a good person? Now, I've talked a lot about persecution. You might think that the Christian life is, is all a negative, but persecution is only a small part of the Christian life. There is so much hope 
joy, comfort, knowing that we have security, knowing that we have eternal life with God, knowing that we do have purpose and meaning here in this life. We have our Christian community, our church, which encourages, edifies one another, which helps us to stand firm amidst this persecution. This persecution really is something really small compared to the eternal glory that we'll experience in heaven. So let us not be discouraged by the statement that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But let us acknowledge the truth of that statement. Let us expect to be persecuted. And let us really desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Now, what about others? What happens to them? Well, we see that in verse 13. Look with me there. While evildoers and impostors will go on, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, these people, they're evildoers and impostors. They don't know the gospel. They don't know that faith in Christ Jesus will save them from their sins and give them eternal life but rather they're deceived. They have the hopes set on other things. It may have been the uncertainty of riches, it may be the career, it may be in hedonism, in pleasure, but they're being deceived. They're deceiving others into believing these things as well. And this destructive path will eventually lead to death and judgment unless God saves them from it. They are deceived, they're, being dece- uh, they're deceiving others. This destructive path will lead them to death and judgment, unless God saves them from it. But let's keep going. Verse 14. And this is the part, this is the second point of today's talk on the Bible. Well, let, let me read verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's telling Timothy to continue in what he's learnt. And what is it actually that he's learned? Well, he's learned what we've learned. That is the Gospel. Timothy, and us as well, we've learned that we have sinned, that we are deserving of death and judgment. But we've learned as well that we can be saved from our sins because of the forgiveness of sins found in Christ. We've learned that there is eternal security found in believing in Christ. That's what he's learned. And why, why should he continue in that? Well, Paul gives two reasons at the end of verse 14. Because you know those from whom you learned it. See, Timothy has learned it from these faithful teachers. That's why he should continue in what he's learned. And many of us have learned this gospel from faithful teachers as well. Joe's taught it to us. Many other faithful teachers have taught it to us as well. That's the first reason why we should continue in what we have learned. It, or what we have learned. And the second is on the Holy Scriptures. Let me read verses, verse 15. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, not, not all of us have had the privilege of having been taught the Bible from a kid. Timothy has had that privilege. But this, this verse is mainly about the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. See, the Bible makes people wise for salvation. And what does that actually mean? What does it mean that the Bible makes people wise for salvation? Well, the Bible clearly shows people the gospel, and through the gospel, people are made wise. People know how they can be saved. The Bible clearly shows people that they are sinners, that they need to repent, 
and they can find salvation through Christ. Now, we at Campus Bible Study, we really believe that. We really believe that the Bible makes people wise for salvation. And so, one of the things we encourage our Christian students to do is to ask their non-Christian friends uh, to read the Bible with them. So, yeah, and so lots of Christian students have asked their non-Christian friends to read the Bible with them. Some of them have said no, but by God's grace, some of them have said yes. By God's grace, some people have been meeting up to read God's Word regularly. And by God's grace, some people have turned to Christ. It's because the Bible makes people wise for salvation. Now, these Christian students who have seen their non-Christian friends turn to Christ, they wouldn't have said it's in their own eloquence or their wisdom or their persuasiveness. They wouldn't have said their friends have turned to Christ because of their own abilities. But they would have said it's the Bible. See, God's Word, it makes people wise for salvation. It's not simply based on people's abilities or their competencies, but the Bible itself makes people wise for salvation. Now, I know a lot of people at this church, but it would be presumptuous of me to assume that everyone here is Christian. And so for those of you who don't call Jesus Lord and Savior, my question for you is, are you wise for salvation? Do you know whether you're saved? And if the answer to that question is no, then I really encourage you to read the Bible. Continue reading it here at church, but also read it yourself. Grab one of the Gospels, read it yourself in your own time, or perhaps read it with a Christian friend. See, the Gospel, the Bible, makes people wise for salvation. If you aren't wise for salvation, if you don't know whether you're saved, make sure you read the Bible, and I pray that God, through His Word, will help you to see so clearly that Jesus died for your sins and that you can be saved. Well, that's what the Bible is. It makes people wise for salvation. But Paul doesn't stop there. No, he talks more more about what Scripture is. So let's read verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He starts off by saying Scripture is God-breathed, and I think that that phrase, God-breathed, is very intentional. See, he doesn't say written by God because it was directly written by people. For example, this letter, this passage that we're reading, is written by Paul to Timothy. But it's God-breathed because it is from God. God, through His Holy Spirit, has worked in human writers to create this Bible. So it's God-breathed. While it's written by people, it's from God. The how is the people, but the from who is God. So Scripture is God-breathed, Scripture is the Word of God. Well, I have a final challenge for you. Do you really believe this is the Word of God? And do we treat it as the Word of God? Well, to, to test whether that is the case, I want you to imagine that you're having this dream and you, you're convinced, sorry, you're having this dream and then God Himself reveals Himself to you. He tells you all these things. He tells you a bunch of instructions as well. And you wake up. You're convinced this is a dream from God. You're convinced that your Creator, He who sustains you, He who knows all about you, He who knows what's best for you, has given you this message. What are you going to do about it? Well, you won't just continue with life as it is. You won't just go to work, continue with this, um, yeah, whatever it is you're doing, and forget about this dream. No, you're going to think about it. 
You might write stuff down. You might call someone up. You'll think about it during work. You'll make sure to pay attention because God himself has given this message to you. You will make sure to pay attention. You're excited about this because God himself has given this message to you. Now, is that what we do with the Bible? Is that what we do with the Word of God? Well, I'm glad to say that I know a lot of people here would say, yes, we do treat the Bible as the Word of God. And that's fantastic. I know lots of people, they read the Bible daily, they really treasure it, they rely on it. But I also suspect that some of us might say no. I suspect that some of us might think the Bible is merely a good book to read on Sundays and at Bible study groups as well. But that we don't really rely on it and we don't really treat it as the Word of God. So I hope that you can see very clearly this is the Word of God. God, who created you, who sustains you, who knows all about you and knows what's best for you, has given you this Word. So let us read it, let us rely on it. And why should we read and rely on it? Aside from it being God's Word, which is fantastic in itself, why else should we read it? Well, Paul gives us even more reasons at the, verse, uh, at the end of verse 16. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It teaches us the truth. It teaches us the gospel. He rebukes us when we sinned against him. It shows us very clearly what we've done wrong and points us in the right direction. It corrects us when we've said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, thought the wrong thing. It shows us what actually is right. And it trains us in righteousness. Now, the word training is an interesting thing because it's about progress. It's about working hard over time and getting results over time. It might remind you of bodily training, of, say, doing weights. And when you're, when you're doing weights, that's something that you do over time. It's not like you lift up a dumbbell five times and boom, you have massive muscles. But it's, it's training that happens over time. And so it is with the Word of God. See, it's not like you read a part of the Bible and bam, you're a really godly Christian. But as you read it over time, and as you keep reading it, you will be taught, rebuked, and corrected. You'll be trained, and your godliness will increase as you're trained in righteousness. And that's not all. Verse 17, what is the purpose of the Bible? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the Bible, it makes people wise for salvation. It teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains people in righteousness. All of this is so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It teaches us what these good works are and equips us to do them. The other thing we see in this verse is that Scripture is sufficient. See, it doesn't equip us for just some good works. It equips us for every good work. It equips us for every good work. See, some people, they think that you need all these other things to be equipped for good works. But no, Scripture itself is sufficient. Some people think you need all these other things. For example, you need some really good Christian books, you need a fantastic church, you need really good Christian role models, you need the PTC. Some people think you need all these things, and they're actually really good things. You should read good Christian books. You should be part of a great church. You should have good Christian role models. You should take part in the PTC. (laughs) But Scripture itself is sufficient for equipping us for every good work. All these things are fantastic things. You should take part in them. 
but Scripture itself is sufficient. It equips us for every good work. And so let us read it, let us rely on it. It is God's Word, so let us read and rely on it. Now, sometimes when I talk about being, you know, relying on the Bible, people think that's in opposition to being led by the Spirit. I think that's a bit silly, though, because God has gifted us the Bible, God has gifted us His Spirit, and God doesn't compete with Himself. Rather, the Spirit and the Bible are aligned. They work together. The Spirit helps us to see so clearly what's in the Bible. The Spirit reveals the truths in the Bible. They work together. And Scripture, scripture is sufficient for every good work. Now, we, we know all these things. We know how amazing Scripture is. We know how amazing the Bible is. And so what actually stops us from reading God's Word? Well, I've thought about three obstacles that come out in our lives. And I've thought about what we can do uh, to overcome these obstacles. The first obstacle is a lack of time. See, lots of us are really busy. We have all these urgent and important things to do. Maybe work, maybe family, assignments. We have all these things that take up our time. And all of these things are really good things. Things that we should spend our time doing. Things that God himself wants us to do. But I suspect when we say we have a lack of time to read God's Word, we're actually lacking in appreciation for what God's Word really is. See, going back to our, our illustration of a dream from God, if you had a dream from God Himself, if you knew that He spoke to you in this dream, and then you woke up and you had all these things to do, what would you do? Well, if they were really urgent and important, you'd definitely do them. You'd take care of your family, you'd go to, you'd go to work, complete that deal, um, you'd finish that assignment. But you'd make sure to come back because God himself has spoken to you. You'd make sure to come back. You'd make sure to pay attention to his message so that you can really understand what his will for you is. So when we apply that to the Bible, when we say we have a lack of time to read the Bible, well, I suspect it's more of a, a lack of appreciation of what the Bible is. And if that's your obstacle, then I hope that you can clearly see what the Bible is. It's the Word of God. I hope you will meditate more on this passage and understand how important God's Word is in making you wise for salvation, in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training you, in equipping you for every good work. The second obstacle is false expectations of the Bible reading experience. Now, sometimes we expect God to work amazingly in our Bible reading experience. We expect us to read a passage and be like, wow, this is such an amazing passage, or wow, I know exactly what I need to do from this passage. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes God does work in that way, and that's fantastic. But sometimes people expect that this is how we should read the Bible all the time. Now, the Bible itself is amazing, but the process itself might feel a bit mundane. See, training in righteousness, training itself it's very mundane. It's, it's slow. It's progress over time. It's not an instantaneous thing. Training in righteousness is something that happens over time in a slow... It's not in an exciting way. And sometimes it might be like that with the Bible. So instead of expecting amazing things when we read the Bible, let us expect God to work through us as we read it. We'll grow slowly but steadily as we read His Word, we will grow in our knowledge and love for Him. And the third obstacle is not knowing how to read the Bible. A lot of us know that the Bible is fantastic, but we don't know exactly how to read it. 
Well, I've, I've said before that it's not necessary, but I would actually highly recommend being part of this PTC. That's the first suggestion. But even if you don't take part of that, I think one of the best ways to read the Bible is to set aside some time daily to read it. Set aside some time. I personally read in the mornings, but others may have found it's easier to read it at night. Set aside some time each day to read the Bible and read it one book at a time. It might be easy to just jump through to various verses and read them out of context, but it's important to be able to read one book at a time to understand things in context. See, the Bible is written, um, each book of the Bible, sorry, is written by a specific author to a specific audience, and the meaning is shaped by the author and the audience as well. It's easier, it's better actually, to, to understand the meaning of the passage as we understand its context. That's why it's worthwhile reading one book at a time. So perhaps you might start at, say, a book like Colossians. You might read chapter one today, chapter two the next day. That's my suggestion. Make sure you spend some time each day reading the Bible. Read it one book at a time. Read it in context. So to conclude, the Bible is the Word of God. It teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us. It makes us wise for salvation. It's the Word of God Himself, God who created us, who sustains us, who knows all about us, knows what's best for us. God Himself has given us this Word, so let us read and rely on it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that in Your grace You have given us Your Word. We thank You that it is so amazing that it teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us. It equips us for every good work. It makes us wise for salvation. Father, we pray that you'll help us to read and rely on it, to overcome whatever obstacles we might, be, we might be experiencing in reading it. We pray that you'll help us to really read and rely on it, that we may be transformed by it, that we may live lives that glorify you. We pray this all in your Son's name. Amen. Great is the love of the 